What well, is time again for our weekly segment, which is focused on the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Our guest today joining us in the studio is Vice President Vice Chancellor Mike Bame. Mike, good morning to you. Good to see you. Hey, good morning, Bryce. Great to be seen. Well, the world population, this is not something new to our listeners, is growing rapidly. Innovations in the way of food is produced is said to be key to meeting worldwide demand. A new report that came out of the Clayton Yider Institute for International Trade and Finance identified several opportunities, we'll call them, to boost innovations specifically within ag biotechnology. Tell us a little about this report, Mike. Yeah, absolutely, Bryce. So just, you know, again, to kind of bring it home, about 7.5 billion people live on planet Earth today, about one out of every seven. So just about a billion people, 880 million, I think is what... uh, is and is uh, is is what people point to already live in um, very very much object poverty pernicious cycles of poverty that just keep going they're water insecure they're food insecure and you know we're seeing that um, that food and water insecurity bubble over when people don't get their basic needs met into global global and regional destabilization so water and food security is national security is kind of that that bit so. That's where we stand today. In the next 27 years, give or take, there we're going to add, we're going to add. Uh, demographers project another 2.5, 2 to 2.5 billion more people. So I'm I'm just a plant pathologist, but the world's going to get more complicated. And along with that, then how do we feed those folks? And that's really what this uh, this Yider Institute uh, report was was all about. So how are we going to feed? Uh, another 2.5 billion people uh, without changing necessarily the way that food is produced. And how do we do that on the same amount of land that we have? Um, All of these are really complicated questions. One of those areas that, that one of those tools, new practices, if you will, is the use of gene editing techniques, which is really what this uh, this report is focused on. Uh, Gene editing can make crops more resistant to heat, to drought, to pests, to disease, can improve the taste and the nutritional value of the food that we eat and has lots of other benefits. We've talked a lot about biotechnology, ag tech on, on the show over the years here, so won't go, down, get, go into that too much. This is also so important for Nebraska. I mean, scientists across INR are working to develop new grain varieties that enhance the resilience to these uh, the resilience of both crops and livestock. Ultimately, we want these scientific breakthroughs to benefit producers in Nebraska and beyond. Definitely, uh, all the way to you know profitability and thinking about community prosperity. This past summer, the Yider Institute brought a really cool team of trade experts. I'd say trade experts with a twist of science scientists in this space brought us together to think about how can we bolster U.S. ag innovation to actually, you know, have, uh, have opportunities to meet the, the needs of the future. So that's what this was all about. Mike, you say you're just a plant pathologist. I'm just an ag communicator, and I often spend probably too much time looking at labels. In particular, on a recent flight, I was, you know, they give out the in-flight oh, yeah. snacks. Yeah, yeah. So I was reading the the story. Everybody puts a story on snacks yep. in this day and age. Yep. And that one in particular was talking about why they use non-GMO crops and how they source that locally. Uh, you, I'm sure you've read many of those stories. It comes to, when we talk about ag innovations and ag biotechnology, a lack of public understanding that kind of impedes and competes with some of the ag innovations. So 
How does that play into this conversation? Yeah, you're you're right, right? We all see the labels, but I'm not sure um, I understand those labels, and I'm in the business, and I'm certain that consumers don't always understand. And then there's the marketing piece, and you know, there's a lot of um, there's a again won't go into it in the, uh, today's session, but man, the uh, labels uh, mix fact and fiction and blur things in some ways to make it so difficult for folks to know what's going on. I think um, the other part of this is that the science and technology related, the biotechnology related to uh, livestock and cropping system resilience is evolving very quickly. So GMOs, I remember when Roundup Ready beans first hit the market, and I was talking with my brother-in-law, the farmer in Indiana, and I remember talking, do you think this stuff will stick around? And, and you know, that was a long, long time ago. And then flash forward to CRISPR-Cas9 um, uh, technology where we're able to go in and strategically remove a single nucleotide. We're not adding anything, Bryce. We're, we're, not, at, we're not taking a gene from a jellyfish and putting it into a, into a carrot we are absolutely just manipulating the genetic makeup of the of the of the animal and so these gene editing technologies in 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 today's world really and simply speed up the results that might also be possible through traditional breeding techniques or even mother nature over time so um, food companies often are using the non-GMO label in their, their marketing, I think, to attract customers. I wish that on the back of the food they would talk a little bit about what is CRISPR-Cas9, what's today look like. I think, um, I think that's it. I think there's also on the back side of this, candidly, you know, we grow a lot of sugar beets. Every single sugar beet in the in the in the U.S. and pretty much in the world is genetically modified to resist key diseases. And without it, uh, you couldn't grow sugar beets. So the sugar beet plant is genetically modified to allow it to resist pests, but the sugar that we consume is not. There's nothing different about that sugar than if it came from sugar cane or a so I, this is really complicated, and at the end of the day, we have to, when it comes to policy, when it comes to trade, we need to understand all of this in, intimate, intricate detail such that policies aren't being put in place. Consumers ultimately need to understand this such that we can respond to feeding this growing world in a, in a smart way. In looking at this report, again, coming out of the Clayton Yider Institute for Trade, it was interesting to me, you think about the hurdles that uh, you have to overcome, regulatory hurdles, that is, the different agencies that have to approve things when it comes to the adoption of ag biotechnology, USDA, FDA, EPA, just three of them to name. How does that impact uh, you know, our developments as a country and as a world? Yeah, I think, well, you just said it, right? Um, now we're going to talk about the federal government on the show. We definitely don't have time here. Uh it's complicated. So yeah, USDA, FDA, EPA, they are um, all in the business and they have different different parts of this. Um, the USDA is really looking at the actual uh, crop plant or looking at the uh, actual animal, uh, the food animal. The EPA is looking at, you know, uh, pest pesticide or 
pesticidal or disease resistant qualities of those things. And the FDA has nothing to do with either of those. It's really is the food that we are eating coming from those animals and those plants safe for humans to consume? And, uh, you know, I'm not so sure the agencies are talking with each other near as much. So um, they have their own operating culture, their own separate statutes. So it's tricky. And then when you start to think about this, then there's kind of a temporal aspect. Some of the rules and regulations are newer. Some of them are older. Uh, so all of that has to be, all of that has to be harmonized and, you know, there's, there's not just a simple single law that does everything that people can point to. There's just statute after statute after statute. And yeah, it's, it's complicated. It's, it's like stacking resistance genes in a soybean plant. Uh, it, it's, it's tricky. And, and so, you know, bringing this back home to where we started the Eider Institute for International Trade and Finance, this uh, really cool report on biotechnology as it's related to feeding, fueling, fibering a growing world sustainably brings out a lot of these really key issues. And yeah, if you haven't seen it, just uh, hit the Yider Institute Biotechnology and should pop up for you. That's the voice of the vice president, the vice chancellor of the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. He's our special guest on this week's IANR Update here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Bryce Duskate reporting.